And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of my favorite parts of the show, the interviews. And we've got a special guest. We first time on uh, on the podcast with us, and uh, a fascinating story. And I also think it's a guest with a very prescient message um, that people need to hear. And I don't really think I need to say too much more than that because I think his message is it should be it should resonate. And I think it's. Uh, it's an it's a message of education, but also a message of humility and um, and a warning, right? A, a warning. And I and and what what intrigued me about this guest was that we operate in an industry where it has become, and it probably always has to some degree, but it's very unvogue, if you will, to admit you're wrong or to admit that you've had bad trades. And I was just fascinated by the humility and the openness of this guest. And I think that he's got a, a tremendous message. And like I said, a warning for people. Um, so without further ado, I want to introduce the Mad King himself, Mr. Remy Tito. And he is a co-founder of Real Vision and now is the sole proprietor of the Mad King, which is a, which is a macro research site. He's putting out great letters. I've gone over a bunch of his work. We'll get more into that, but Remy, without further ado, thanks for coming on the show and welcome to uh, Know Your Risk Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Zach. That's going to be fun. Yes, it is going to be fun, man. And I, I was, uh, I was really excited to get this interview dialed up and hear your story. But before we get rolling, why, why don't we just start? And I want the folks to know because um, I think you're doing some fascinating work, and I think you're putting out some excellent material uh, in the macro research world. So. Why don't you tell us about what you're doing right now, and then we'll kind of get into your backstory and how you got here. But explain to us what you're doing at the Mad King. Right. So the the, the idea behind the Mad King is that I'm, I'm simplifying complex ideas. You know, I strip off all the complicated jargon so people more people can understand it. Or if you're a professional, you just like scan it, read it quickly, and then you can you can just like investigate more if you want in both cases the idea is like really i don't want to take a lot of time of people but i want to make them think yes. for themselves yes um so i'm you know my, <clears throat> i'm very broad in my my approach so i can i can touch technology because my background is technology initially um then macro that's what i've done for the last 10 years um then business because you know i've built i've built real vision so i learned a lot about entrepreneurship uh, during those 10 years um, so yeah, it made me uh, maybe a bit different than than what is done out there, um, a little bit. So yeah, the, the the main idea is to simplify everything, go deep into into complex topics. You know, like nuclear nuclear. I've been in there not long ago. Um, then I went into very deep into business cycle, and then on demographic, and then on. AI, soccer, yeah, or that, that's the kind of stuff I do. And, and who's it? Because I sit there, I, I actually feel like your service is perfect for, and, and I want to hear your thoughts on your, on your target audience, but I feel like your service is perfect for kind of a firm like ours, or maybe even a little smaller than ours, or, or somewhere in that, you know, I don't know, you know, 20 to a billion dollars under management where somebody needs some really good macro research, but maybe they can't afford a Bloomberg terminal. Maybe they can't afford to hire a full-time analyst. I, I feel like, what do you, th- I look at that and I'm like, man, this is, you know, I mean, to get that kind of service and that kind of research, most firms have to hire analysts, right? Um, where, where do you see your target audience being for the Mad King? Yeah, what you just described, uh, absolutely. I, I would say 
ironically, professional one might find it, find it a little bit too cheap to give it value, although, although it's not the case. The, the value of the work is exactly the same that what I've produced for the last 10 years when I was working at Global Macro Investors, which was uh, an elite newsletter, you know, in macro and stuff, changed a little bit now. Um, but yeah, it was, so that's the, the same level of work, except it's a lot, lot cheaper. And, you know, when I, when I launched, um, it was anonymous, so there was no name attached to it. And you can't really charge a lot when you do that. Um, so I, I just went with the flow and it pushed me, kind of pushed me to really work hard on the contents because I wanted people to judge the content for what the content was alone. Yeah. Um, so, it, and, and, and what I realized is taking that approach, it really kept me in line in the way I work and really I'm pushing myself a lot, um, you know, to get, to get the best, the best, the best analysis I can basically. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Okay. So let me, let me get, I give, give us, because um, I took a, I took a secure, I I took a security, securitist route finance myself, meaning um, I went to a small school here locally in the Seattle area, Pacific Lutheran, nobody knows about it nationally. Um, wanted to get in the hedge fund world, but, you know, didn't have the right pedigree, didn't go to the right Ivy League school, that kind of deal. And so uh, hearing your story, you even took a more uh, creative route into finance. Give us give us a little bit of the, your background and your path to I mean, you're putting out you're putting out excellent, well-researched macro research. And you started off. I mean, restaurants were kind of the, the way you got rolling, right? Oh, that was. Yeah, that was. Yeah. But that was what, 25 years okay. ago. Yeah, so what happened when, when you know, I finished school, um, in, I was living in France, I did the bachelor and stuff. Then you go to university, I went to university and I wasn't for me, I didn't like it. I did a business school, didn't like it and I gave up. And I, instead I went traveling the world. Um, travel and when you do that, the best, the easiest job to get there in restaurants and bars. Yep. So that's what I've done for, for a few years. I worked in New York, you know, in Spain, a few places, Paris. And I always worked in um, really high-end places. Um, you know, yeah, the really fun stuff. So some Michelin um, stars? Not that okay. far, but what I had, it was like basically where all the famous people go. So that was, that was fun, yeah. let's say. Yeah. And, and yeah, it was, it was good. It was good. And what I realized is those years actually gave me a lot of skills that are very useful now in terms of, you know, you learn how to manage and deal with human behavior uh, in life, sometime when they're drunk, you know, when I work at night and stuff like that, that kind of of experience give you a very very specific kind of skill set. And 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 when we when we when we launched Real Vision, um, I was the ones being sent to negotiate and stuff, contract or talk to uh, providers because of that experience, because I could deal. I was I could deal with people. Um, and so yeah, that was useful then. When I was about 30, I got married, you know, got a kid and, and it was time to get stuff serious. Um, so I'll, I'll, I started to, um, to be labs, basically. So I, st- I, I trained myself in coding. I wasn't the greatest coder, but I was a good project manager, again, because of my managing people skills. Um, and, and yeah, I, I started to basically build apps and, and websites for people. And then that's and then that's how you got involved in Real Vision, right? We, we, Raul. No. So what? Correct. So what happened is I met Raul. Uh, we lived in the same village in Spain, and I said to Raul, "Say, look, you you work in finance, right? Yeah." And and I'm like, "Can you say I like economy? You know, I like I like all that stuff. Can you send me a, a stuff of, a bit of your work so I can read it?" So he sent it to me. I, I didn't understand, understood half of it, and then I went back to him. I'm like, "Are you?" 
well, how much is it to read your stuff? It's like 40 grand a year. And I'm like, are you a, an elite newsletter? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you look like shit. <laughs> and because at the time, the newsletter was like, the way it looks like, it was terrible. And, I, that, and at that time, that was my thing, to look make things look good. And it's like, okay, well, what can you do to improve it? So I made a new branding, made a new website. In 2012, made the first app for his, for his platform. Um, and then it worked, it worked well. Six months later, we split ways. Um, and, it, and he called me back, sorry, he called me back six months later and, and offered me the, the analyst job, which was funny because, you know, during those six months, I said to my wife, God, if there is one thing I should have done is treated more so I could do that work with him as an analyst. Then six months later, he offered me that. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, I would love to do it, but I don't have the background. I don't have the training. And he's like, don't worry about that. You have the tech side. I will train you, I will train you myself for the rest. So basically, I got, I got you know, one of the, because he's, he's, a great macro, he's a great macro man, right? I got one of the greatest teachers to teach me all about macro and, and how things work. Um, so, yeah, that was that. And I, I got so many one-on-one with him that I was more than an M- MBA in the end. Yeah, yeah. And so so you jumped in. This is about – so you started with GMI in 2012? Yeah. Okay. And then ha- and you were there for how long? You you, you just left recently, so, like a year and a half ago, right? Yeah, I left, yeah, yeah, I left last year. Okay, okay. I left last year. Um, so, yeah, we, we, I, st- I started in 2012 GMI. Then in 2013, summer 2013, we meet Grant Williams. We have dinner with him. He come to visit us in Spain, you know, and, and then that night came the idea of Real Vision. So the next day, Raul come to my office and he's like, look, we had that, that idea because that, that was a late idea over drinks that I, wasn't, I was already gone. It's like, look, like we have that great idea with Grant. What do you think? I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And and then the deal was basically, uh, you know, here's the money. We put money, you build it. And six months later, I was living in Cayman. When did Real Vision go live? When did you guys start? I, I didn't run into you guys until about 2016. Probably, yeah, probably about 2016. I remember the first time I ran into you guys, I subscribed. My My wife and kids were gone for a weekend. And I found myself on a Saturday and I looked up and I realized I'd been watching Real Vision videos for 12 hours. <laughs> so, I mean, that original content, man, I, it was oh, so was, good. Look, look, don't, yes. Yeah. The, 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 I mean, until 2018, 2019, um, coincidentally, until Grant left, the content was like still up, oh. right? You couldn't, you could, that was content you couldn't find anywhere. We were really pushing, pushing it. Um, and yeah, no, we launched in September, 2014. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. yes. so the idea was that we got the idea in July, 2013 and by September 14, we were live. Okay. Okay. Now I don't, I don't, and I don't want to put you on the spot. So feel free to, to feel free to back away or just, you know, say you don't want to talk about it. But when you, when you departed from real vision, obviously you had a lot going on in your life at that time. You did a two and a half, a fantastic interview with Grant on his website, um, digging into, you know, what was going on in your personal life with your son working through the, you know, basically fascinating story. I feel like we could do an hour and a half discussion just on your deep dive into autism, right. And, and, and the work there, which was, I've got two boys of my own and, and, uh, 
you attacked that issue much like I would like to think that I would if I was in the same situation, right? It's it's your boy, right? You're gonna you're gonna go after it with everything you got. You don't have a cho- you don't have a choice, and if you have the means, you go for That's it. Right. That's right. That's right. So, um, but but when you left when you left Real Vision, well, first of all, let me ask you a question. And again, I don't I don't want to, but just curious as a spectator from the outside and and somebody that subscribed to Real Vision for quite a while. Um, was it took a big pivot toward crypto and that's sort of where it kind of lost me. Was that more of a marketing decision, do you think? Or was that more of kind of a natural evolution of the interest, uh, Raul's interest, your interest? What, what was that? Because it kind of felt to me like there was a fork in the road. I, I Grant kind of said, it yeah, well, walk me through again. Was that a mark more of a marketing decision trying to reach a broader audience or was it just kind of the natural arc of the company so first before answering that question um i'm still one of the i'm the third largest shareholder of real vision mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so okay. you know whatever i say i'm, I'm still vested in the company yep. um, and i'm still a fan so, by the way yeah yeah i'm not though okay. <laughs> i'm not though it's okay yeah. <laughs> look i think when the pivot to crypto came um you know in the end Crypto is it's an investment tool, right? Mm-hmm. That was it's an investment tool. It's a way to make money. So you kind of you can't really ignore it. You kind of have to talk about it. Now the way it went about crypto is not necessarily the right one, to my opinion and my experience. And by the time they did the the, the switch, I wasn't in revision anymore. Grant just have left, and yeah, Raul was very excited by crypto, and he really wanted to do it. Now the that was. A, to be honest, yeah, it was a marketing move, and also because it was, it was a, a big bubble, very active people. So if you wanted to scale up, that was a good that was a good opportunity. You know, scaling in macro. What we realized, I think, with Real Vision is scaling, focusing in macro was complicated. So you could you can still have a decent business that's going to make 20, 30 million a year, um, doing macro. That's for sure. Um, but the the aspiration of Raul were much bigger than that. So he wanted to scale it. And and unfortunately it became what it becomes now because of the, the, the scaling obsession. Right. Yeah. Just to, to reach a broader audience. Right. Yeah. And be, get a bigger value and bigger exit and, you know, yeah. on and on. Yeah. Cause I guess there aren't enough guys like me that'll watch macroeconomic videos for 12 hours on a Saturday. <laughs> no, no. But you know, when, when, so the engagement rate from the macro community was like absolutely insane. When, you know, the first few years, people, the subscribers would literally watch all the videos. Yeah. So, so we wouldn't put too much content because of that. So if you have three videos a week, you have time to watch them. Now, now the idea was also, we're going to scale up, so we're going to put more content. You have more people, we have to cater more audience, blah, blah, blah. And and it proves out that, you know, it's not, it hasn't working as as well uh, as, it was, as it was expected. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, the, the, the first, yeah, the first few years, people were madly engaging with, with the content. Well, I was really surprised, you know, do do you think, do you, and this is just a random thought that popped through my head because I really miss, I really miss that content. I miss those early days because like you said, I, I'm, I try to put it into words, but it was like stumbling across a gold mine, right? Where you're sitting there going. I cannot believe I get to sit here and listen to this guy talk about his process and how he does things for an hour and a half, right? Like I think about the um, <clears throat> the interview with Druckenmiller. I mean, just so many people that you guys got. Have you do you 
do do you see the Mad King going that direction at some point, getting back into that kind of thing? Going into video, it's going to be complicated because of the shareholding agreement. Oh yeah, yeah, okay, that's right. Um, and I don't want to be a competition to you know I'm, I don't consider myself as a competition to Revision. Um, so I'm doing video, no, I don't really want to. Now, one thing is when we did Revision, you know, like like I done for GMI, my my focus, you know, I do I do I do tech, I do branding, I do marketing, a bit of everything. So at the beginning, my I was really obsessed at Revision to make the video beautiful. So nice lighting, nice framing, nice editing, nice all of that. Which people were like, that's overdoing. I said, don't worry about it, just do it. And then what you just said of watching those videos, you couldn't believe it. That adds a layer of value that people don't realize it. You give it value because of the production as well, not only the content. Now, if you put Drucken Miller on a Zoom call and, and two people talking, two talking head, it's not gonna be this, you're not gonna have the same perception of it. Um and, and see if I was to make video, I would I would definitely make the same kind of I would want to make the same quality of what you've watched with Grant. You know, that, that the production they're doing is insane. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and there is a reason why the production is good. Grant hired. So the first employee I hired at Real Vision was France, which was the first the video editor and cameraman. And when he left, Grant hired him for him. And that's the guy that basically built all the um, amazing content for Real Vision. Who, who, remember the Masterclass series? This is a random question, but I just always wondered. Whose idea was it? Where did you guys find the chair? Right? The master class. Remember, I always sat there and I was like, that is such an interesting way to. And I remember when I'd see the chair and I sound like such a typical consumer. But when I saw the chair, I'd get excited because I knew it was like, this is going to be a good one. Right? Where did the chair come from? Uh, that, was, that was from Raul's house. Oh, really? It was, it was it, yeah, that was in his that That shot, that, that shot, that the introduction is from, is from his house oh, wow. in Spain. Okay. Oh, his old, his old house. Um, and yeah, we, we, we didn't know what to do for, for the introduction. And we were in Spain that summer. That was summer 2014. And then I don't, I don't remember who got the idea, the cameraman or me or whatever. And we ended up shooting that. And it's, it's so simple, but beautiful. That intro, I, I watched actually a masterclass not long ago with Mike Novogratz. And I, I, I saw the intro. I was like, fuck. That was so simple, but it works so well. Yes. Yeah. You know, no, quality. No, like I said, and it goes to your conversation. I've learned this. It isn't, the content's important, but it's, you know, it's like a meal, right? You can have a great meal, but you got to plate it correctly, right? You got to pre present it correctly. And I thought you, you have to wrap it up good. You have to, it's look, Apple understood that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Apple understood that the wrapping, the presenting of the product is as important as the product. Yep. Yep. No, that it was, it was, it was fascinating work. Okay. So, so getting back to the backstory and this is the part there's, there's, well, you and I discussed this. There's three parts to the, to the, to the interview that I really want to focus on. But um, like I said, we have a, we have a primarily retail audience. And I think that you have such a resonating story and a story that really needs to be heard, especially today, in my opinion, regarding, you know, what's going on in the markets What's going on with crypto? So, kind of give us you 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 leave Real Vision. Um, kind of give us the crypto story and walk us through where it first started because you you're not a trader, right? That's not, not no, no 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 no. Your training was in an analyst. You became a very good macro analyst. Um, so yeah. kind of tell us that the story of how you got involved into crypto, when that started happening, and and the path that took you on. Yeah, so 
crypto, to, actually, the first the first time I Bitcoin caught my interest was in 2013, and Bitcoin was at 53. I remember because at the time I wanted to open an account to buy some, and I went, you know, do the KYC in an account in Japan that was empty gox, which blew up later, and everybody lost the money. And I was like, thank God I didn't open it there. Um, but then, you know, when I say that story, everybody's like, did you buy it? Did you buy it? Did you buy it at 53? I'm like, no, I didn't. I didn't. That's it. I didn't because I didn't have the money. And at the time, I, I wouldn't have put I wouldn't have put a lot anyway to do it because, uh, you know, it was it was brand new. Um, and then a couple of a year or two after we, we put the recommendation for our clients, uh, GMI, then it goes up. Goes back down, you know. It goes up to 20,000, 20, Go back down and then flat for for a couple of years. Then twenty twenty arrive. Um, twenty twenty arrive. You know, COVID hit. Um, I'm back in Spain. We in lockdown. Then Raul's like, look, have you seen that that DeFi thing? Um, you know, we need to understand it. We need to understand it for our clients because people are asking questions. So we need to know what what it is about and what what are we going to tell them about it. And I didn't have a clue about what DeFi was. I didn't have any crypto at the time. I didn't know how well it worked. I didn't know anything. So <clears throat> then I started to look into it and we got um, someone from Delphi Digital, which is um, a big research service for crypto, um, that wrote an article for GMI. So he sent it to me, I read it. And then what I've done is like, okay, I'm going to test it myself. I'm going to test everything they're saying about staking, buying, self-custody, all of that, right? Because I want you to, you're the best way to understand what's happening is that. Yep. Okay. So then I go on at the time, I, then <clears throat> I bought some Ethereum, uh, like a decent size of Ethereum when it was at like $200. Six months later, no, not even. Wait, that was May. By the summer, I doubled my money. So that was my first contact with crypto. Now, obviously, and, and my first contact with trading in general. I never traded before, traded before. So at that point, what happened to me was possibly the worst thing that could have happened to me is that I doubled my money easily. Yeah. And, and then I'm like, okay, I'm a genius. <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be easy. I'm going to make a lot of money. And then you go on social media, you start to connect with some people. You end up living in echo chambers. Um, of, and that's what happened. You know, I end up living in echo chambers of crypto. Now, in that in those trades, although I doubled my money quickly, then I ended up losing everything in the next three months. And and that wasn't because I was a I was a good analyst, it was because the execution was terrible. Because I didn't, you know, I wasn't aware of, of how to deal with my personal emotions. You know, I had I had three setups that I played, the three setups played out absolutely perfectly. I didn't play them perfectly. And that, that has to do with the execution on my side. And and so I end up I ended up in 2021. I'm like, God, you know, crypto was 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 coming back down. I'm like, I suffered. Um, I suffered. I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make it. It's gonna work. Um, you know, that you had. I don't know if you if you know a little bit crypto. Or oh, yeah, yeah. I guess you know a bit about. Okay, so you know about staking. So I started to stake stuff. <clears throat> stake some tokens and then you get rewards for it and then you sell them and then i was like whoa that's absolutely crazy then i ended up in private groups that find projects when they when they just pop up <coughs> and we ended up we ended up being the first 
starting to get the token in, in stake. When you do that, the, the, the reward go exponential. And, and why is that? And we and all, why is that, Remy? Because I'm familiar with staking, but I don't, I've never done it. Um, it, it do you get extra well, if you stake or do they, how does that work? If you stake, if you, when you stake early, the reward is quite high. And because there's not a lot of people on it, you get a lot of, nobody knows it. You get a lot of tokens. Got it. Got it. Right. And then you get known. And what you do is if you stake early, then you dump the token. Basically you, you use other people as liquidity, as, as liquidity. It's like a pump and dump. And that's, look, that's what it was, but you didn't realize that until you failed. Right. Yeah. No, okay. Yep. I, I didn't realize all that. And then what happened is I'm in that group and I don't know, we own, I don't know how much of the liquidity on that, on that stuff. Like it's growing, growing over three days. I don't know. I, I put like 50, 40 grand over three days. I was, it was 2.4 million, something like that. Yeah, yeah. It was mad. In four days. And yeah, for, for, yeah, no, a bit more than that. Maybe two weeks. Okay. Whatever. Maybe two weeks. <laughs> maybe two weeks. But what happened is the token you made, they were worth more than a dollar. So it was like um, a, a pegged, the pegging thing. But you, are, you had three days, three, three days to get your tokens out. You have a, a vesting schedule of three days when you decide to take them out, take them out, and then you can sell them, right? And so that's going up, 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 like crazy. Everybody jump in. And because we were inside, in size, we had a, we had a lot of it. And we were all talking to each other when to get out. So we were not going to dump on each other. But then what happened is at the moment, the, 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 the contract, the money contract was supposed to do something in the staking. And it, were, it was an error in the code for a comma. And it didn't. And from that moment, all the money that we were waiting, because I, I was waiting for it to come out to sell it, all, all of that collapsed to like a few cents oh. in two days. Oh. Right? And then I'm like, and then I realized, yeah, that's, that's. And what coin was this in? I, what coin was this in? Zai. It was called Zai. Okay. Just a random one. Yeah. Yeah. That was like an obscure. But then, okay. That story is, is fine. It's, it's almost funny, right? Because then I realized at that stage, how, how crypto operates. All those pumping dubs, they're happening. They're real. They're scams. No problem. Now, if you know how to play them, you can make money. It's very risky, but you have to know what game you, what, the rules of the game you're playing. That's what I keep saying with crypto. You have to know the rules really well. And in my case, you know, I was like, I didn't understood like going from putting 40 grand to 2.4 million is like crazy. You know, we are all, we are all millionaires and, 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 and none of us in the end, it collapsed because of a comma mistake in the code. Oh. And because the, 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 the way those, those stuff have built, you can't just change the code and fix it and deploy it. You know, you had to go through a vote um, of the community. It take one day and like one day to execute. And in three days, it was all gone. Uh, so this time I, I, I started to get an experience of the more obscure side of, of crypto. And, and, that, right? and, and, and just to keep track here, that was, you, 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 you got hit, but you'd only put up about 40 grand at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's it. Um, so that was, I think that was February 2021. So that happened. And then the NFT craze started at that time. Right. 
And when that happened, in my group, they were like, oh, buy, look, buy the, um, the apes, buy this, buy that, buy the punk. They're like, one, one is, two is, which was two, or two grand at the, moment, at the time. And I was like, no, there's no fucking way I buy an image for two grand. I, can't, I just can't, I can't, I can't just do it. It's not possible. And, and I was wrong because that would have been a fantastic trade. Um, you know, I think the, the, at, the, at the peak, the, the floor was like 500,000, something like that. Um, but again, I, again, I didn't. But what I what I did during that time was like I took a step back and started to really observe behavior and how things works, right? Because that was I'm not a trader, so I'm I'm, I'm learning different skills here um, and trying to understand. It's not finance, it's not macro, it's very very different, you know. And 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 then I'm like, okay. I'm smart. I'm going to figure out something. I want to come back. And that's, that's how I come across Luna. Um, which, so Luna was, was um, you know, I must to, the day, to this day, that still must be one of the biggest fall in crypto. Um, they wiped out like 60 billion in market cap in three days. And, and that was wild. Um, a, lot, a lot of people lost money. And what happened is, so when I, when, I find, when I find Luna initially, I was like, okay, it's interesting. Uh, be careful. Don't fall in the community. Don't fall in the groups. You know the game. You've been there. Just like use your brain, right? So before investing in Luna, what I did is I approached, I actually had two weeks back-to-back of interviews, interviewing founders, people building on it, you know, the team, uh, the big holders. So I really went, I did, I did really did my homework. And, and what, and when um, I interviewed the, 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 the people building on it, I came across three people from Goldman, like, or ex Goldman. One was like fixed income. The other one was like, um, I don't know, currency. I don't remember. And, and they all, they were all trying to build something that they saw a problem with in finance and they were trying to build a solution on that chain. So the, it was product where you were basically separating the yield from the product and it, it will become all tradable. So that was, it was a bit complex, um, but very interesting. And when I saw that, I'm like, okay, so those guys are building on it. They're smart people. We speak the same language. Um, they're, they're smarter than me. And I'm like, that, that's interesting. Let me jump in here for a second because what part of it sounds like it appealed to your tech background. Right, like, like, yes. like you're sitting there watching it because you've got these really talented, really skilled, really experienced guy, brilliant people, and they're 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 you know through coding and technology trying to fix problems, right? So they, that was the fin- problem, financial problem, right. which that's what I learned for the last ten years. So yeah, I was like finding them, my my bearings in the middle of everything. So I could you know I could speak the languages of everyone basically, the tech and the and um, and the finance side. And yeah, and then what happened is I sold, I had a partial exit from Revision and I put a lot of that money into Luna. And when I went into it, I'm like, okay, no staking, no liquidity providing, no monkey around, no monkey business, right? I'm going to do it straight. I have a position. I think they have a good chain. I'm going to play the pump. So in between, in, in six months again, I turned two million into debt. Jeez, six months. No leverage, no leverage, no debt, nothing. Right? It was clean, and it was liquid enough so I could I could exit anytime I want. And again, so I start, but the problem is there. 
when I did that, I came too close to the community. So I ended up being very involved with everyone. I was very, obviously, because I got, you know, in, in the middle of a, of a Bitcoin correcting, that happened. You know, I, I managed to do five times my money in the middle of, after crypto aspect and on the way down. So again, I start thinking, look, I got it figured out and I'm, I'm going to get it right this time. And, you know, I became very vocal about it. So because of it, I became a, a pilot of the, of the community. And, and, you know, and then you end up being like, I don't know, in that dynamic where, where, yeah, you talk, I, I was talking too, too, way too vocal about it. And then, and then, yeah, I joined the community. And what happened is that, that role in the community actually gave me, you know, he opened the, the doors for me. I spent four days in Singapore with Dokon. Um, they had, um, so they had a Bitcoin foundation with 4 billion or 3 billion in it to, um, to protect the peg of, of UST, which was the dollar on Luna, you know, the stable coin. They wanted me to run that foundation. So that's why I went to spend four days with him. And I was like, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it was getting very interesting. And, and at the time we knew, you know, the biggest risk was the DPEG, obviously. Um, and, and yeah, we knew about it. I, we were working on it. It was a lot of things were actually about to come out to mitigate the risk, uh, but it was a, a little bit too late. And now because of my position in, um, in the community, when the collapse happened, I could have saved 4 million. I didn't. I just went, I, I just, it was, it would have been the wrong thing to do considering how vocal I was and, 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 you know, where I was. So I went down with the ship basically. Well, and there's a, it, and that was what I found so compelling about your story because there's an element of it where, you know, you, you listening to your interview with Grant, I, I felt like you were a little unfair to yourself because it, there was an element of trading mistakes. Um, and I, I heard you explain it and I sat there and I went, I've been through that. I've made those trading mistakes, right? I learned, I learned to take some off the table and right how to manage a trade and do all those kinds of things. But there was also an integrity aspect of it, which made me, uh, which was honestly was the part of it that made me <coughs> want to have you on because you recognized the issues, you saw it going down, but there was a, um, there was a responsibility you felt, right? Is, is that the right way to say it? Yeah, yes. And, and you know, when the collapse happened, so everyone was very quiet. The team was quiet. Um, I was an advisor, let's say in brackets, because there was no contract, no nothing to the to that foundation. So we were working. I was working with the team, and everybody was like dead scared to speak. Uh, Door went silent, and I'm like, guys, we need to. We it's fine. That fucked up, but we need to face it. We need to be. We need to talk to people. People are going to be anxious. You know, we, we, they're going to get angry. We need to communicate to them, and that's why. Two days after, I wrote I wrote a piece to to own it, um, to own my mistake and and be transparent and and you know the, yeah that's that, one of the reasons why that that I, I didn't sell anything is eight on chain so you can here's my wallet you can check everything and you can see for yourself um, and and yeah that that I felt that was my way to pay to pay yeah that was the pay to pr the, the price to pay basically of of being so vocal and. And yeah, and ideologically married to it because that was a part of it, right? Yes, yeah, yes. But see, when I went to do that trade, so this time I said to my girlfriend, I'm like, Look, when I'm gonna tell you the price of Luna is this, you make me sell my the, the plan was like when the price reached 100, 
I sell my initials plus uh, 100%. Mm -hmm. You just tell me to do that, then the upside is good. But what happened? Because I was involved in the community and with the top of, of, of the pyramid and working with them, I knew we were working to, to, fix, to fix problems. So I wasn't scared of holding it. And then in this case, what I've done is like, no, I'm going to keep it. And that's when actually, I, on the way down uh, from February to May, I think, I actually um, yeah, started to use leverage um, and loop it. You know, you, buy, you, could, you, could, you could get a lot more Luna doing, using the system. And so, yeah, even fell faster like that for me. What, what, was it, but, what, what was it about? There's a couple questions I want to ask you. But, but first of all, what was it about Luna? And I, I remember when it popped up, you know, the famous pictures of, and, and look, I've made bad trades, so I'm not picking on this guy at all. But uh, I remember seeing pictures of Mike Novogratz getting the Luna tattoo, right? And 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 I'll be honest with you, I I, res I have a lot of respect for Mike and his track record. And that was one of those things that caught my eye. And I sat there and I went, holy smokes, man, Mike is a really credible guy. He that's kind of where I started feeling a little stupid, honestly, because I'm sitting there going, if this guy's that confident, he's getting a tattoo. There must be something here that I'm not seeing or understanding. Okay. What was it about Luna that sucked in so many credible, really smart people? Well, well, A, Mike Novogratz must have made about 800 million, I think, something like that, and actually exited. Oh, he was taking chips off the table. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 really. It, it, yes. Yeah, so when you look at the Luna chart price before it collapsed, there's a spike to 120 and a fallback from 120 to 60. That 120 to 60, it's Mike Novogratz. Oh. I, I think, right? Because the 120 is like a couple of days before his vesting schedule uh, expires. And then right after goes down. So yeah, it took it took a decent amount of money off the table. So he was, you know, he was an early investor in it. Um, look, what it, what was he pitting? Well, Do Kwon is a, is an exceptional. Yeah, he, he speaks extremely well. He's smart. Look, let's face it, he's a smart guy. Yeah. They they messed up. He was an idiot online and 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 a very controversial person. But in real life, is absolutely. You know, I sat. Look, I sat at dinner with Kyle Vass and, and Mark Hart and people like that um, when working at GMI. And they're like, just, just like another world when you talk to those guys. Yeah. He was in the same level. I was in the same level of people. He was very, very smart. And, and he was genuinely trying to, to provide um, a solution to, uh, to um, yeah, to, I would say to central banks, essentially. But, and that's what I said to him when I said to, when I said to him, when I met him in Singapore, I'm like, look, you realize what you're creating is essentially the, the, the competition to central banks. Yes. What you're doing is you're emitting dollars, which are gonna emit, are gonna make um, add pressure on the um, on the um, monetary base. Except there is no con there is no counterparty for it. You're just printing them out of thin air. But the rea in reality, it's gonna be added to the to pressure on the mon monetary base. You know that that's the way I, I saw it. And he's like, uh, he didn't really realize that, I think. But that's what he was. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I'm like, they're going to come after you, heavy, because of that. You know, it, it, it is 100%. It is guaranteed. It's going to happen. Yeah. They, and he was, he was, do not want competition, right? No, 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 no. And, and, you know, although, 
you know, crypto in first place exists about the decentralization, right? That's the, the, the main narrative was that. So you control your money. If the bank goes down, you're not going to lose your money. It's in your wallet and blah, 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 right? Now, you evolve into something different um, with DeFi and with all those 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 stuff, um, all those tokens and weird, weird tokenomics and stuff. So you evolve into something where people are greedy. It became an easy way to make money. You know, we saw it in 2018. It was the CIO. Like everybody, everybody was like getting scammed and losing money. Then you have DeFi that happened. So it's like a recurring, what happened is one is going up, which is Bitcoin. And then people usually feel like they miss out and they want the next thing. Yeah. Right. Ethereum was the next thing. It converted it to something more serious. But then if people missed on Ethereum, they want the next thing. So the next thing was Luna or Solana. You know, right now, the, the odd thing right now is Solana which, you know, the tech is solid, um, tokenomic is fine, fine. Is it going to become like a multi-trillion dollar asset? I doubt it. You know, but it's, it's so, it, it, what I realized is whatever, whatever token you like or you want the next thing, they're always part of a narrative that is being pushed out in that moment. Always, always have been. Um, and, and what you see is that when you reflect on the past narrative that was pushed out, you actually didn't materialize. So they're going to find a new thing. Right, so we had decentralization. That didn't, that didn't happen. We still have banking. You still have bank system. You still have the same system. Then you have DeFi, which is going to be like a way to make money. Uh, competing with Wall Street and stuff didn't happen. It was, a, it was a, a fancy thing of two months, two years. And now you have the next one is the ETF. It's already being pumped out in front of everyone. The ETF, and then you have the halving narrative coming up in 2014, 2024, I think it's April. And, and it, what's funny is that those narratives usually start to emerge ahead of the halving every single time. It's, it's really, it, I mean, you can study all you want because I've done it. This is the way it works. Now... <coughs> In the case, Bitcoin is a different, I think I, I've evolved my, my thinking about Bitcoin and I think there is, there is a use case for it. Um, you know, when you see that uh, Argentina is being hit with 150% inflation, I'm like, so imagine those people park their money into Bitcoin, losing 90% of the value is cheaper than facing the inflation of the country. Right. Right. Which is, I think that's one of the main points of, of Lynn Alden. And, and I think, yeah, you know what? That is something, actually. Now, that it becomes the new gold, the new financial system, I don't think anymore. You know, same for DeFi. They become tools um, to play with. Yeah, fine. But they're not... I don't see them becoming yet um, a part of, of the financial system. I thought it would be, but I don't anymore. Would, would it be fair... So when I look at Bitcoin, it, there's two things. And, and I, you know, you've forgotten more about crypto than I know. So take me to school on this. But... When I look at Bitcoin, there's two things for me <laughs> that stand out that are a little bit different. A, it's not tied inextricably into a business or an exchange. And, and that to me feels like that's where a lot of problems came up, right? Because you had a business, right? And, and you know, the business needs to make money and all that kind of stuff. So Bitcoin is kind of its own thing hanging out here. And that makes it pretty unique in the crypto world. The other thing that I've seen that is a very practical use case uh, for Bitcoin, that when I look around, we talk about central banks, when I look around at the modern economy, when I look around at government deficits and spending, I think it's a wonderful tool to execute capital flight 
right, out of a country or or like you said, to avoid hyperinflation. Do you think that's the right way to look at it? Look, yeah, look, to move, I mean, I mean, I move, you move money using bank, banking. So, hey, you have to do it before Tuesday, before Friday, uh, four o'clock, otherwise it doesn't go. And if it does, it's going to go on Tuesday, which is going to be, mean it's going to be processed on Wednesday because the SWIFT is closed and all that stuff. So if you want to do inter- international stuff, that's the way you deal with to do business. And it's like, yeah, whatever. If you do Bitcoin, um, or Ethereum, it's even faster. It's a matter of 10 minutes. It's sorted, you know? Yeah. So for that, yes. For that, for the, the transaction, I think the, the transactional value is there. You know, it, it is easier to move money around using it. But then, you know, a lot of people are like, yeah, but it's long drink money and all that stuff. Well, yes, it is a tool used for that. But um, if you look at, this, uh, at the numbers, the amount of money laundered through banks is much bigger than what is being done. It's much bigger than, it's, I think it's bigger than, than Bitcoin market cap. Yeah, well, I mean, hey, I mean, if we we're going to stop at money laundering, we probably need to shut down. Well, you know, Deutsche Bank, right? There were several of these banks. Are, uh, are, what, they were, there were several of them. Remember where they got caught up in the money, right? Everybody's like, oh, it's used for money laundering. Yeah, but then if you, close, if, you, if you close them, this is a very, it's a big systemic risk. Yeah, risk. right, right. But Bitcoin is not. Right, right. Okay, so so what, and, and this is where, so would you say, this is another question back to, back to the Luna deal. Would you say Do Kwan then, was he an honest actor in terms of what he said his aims were? Or was he pump yes. and dump? Okay, so he was a believer. No, 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 yes. Okay. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay. He was a believer. I mean, the guy named his daughter, Luna. Okay, yeah, okay, okay. Right, oh, come on. It's not you don't do that if you're a scammer, you're not that dumb. Yeah. And he was he was a believer. What happened? He was too way too cocky. And what I realized with though is that when I'm he didn't have a, a good advice, he didn't have a circle to advise him. Mm. And when you read that level, so you know, he was worth, I met him in Singapore, he's worse. I sat in front of him like, How much are you worse now? I'm like I look at him, I guess about fifteen billion. I'm like, Yeah, about that. And I'm like, man, you don't even have security with you. Okay. You're insane. You're insane. And you know, your 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 product, you can print money, basically, and you don't have security with you. Right. So he, yeah, but, you're crazy. So he, but he was obsessed with the tech. He was obsessed with the project. Yes. And the mission. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. I can say. I, yeah. No. No. You won't. From the out- it wasn't a fraud. From the, outside look- it, it, look, from the outside looking in, I could never tell. I I, I was sitting there going, man, he no. seems like, yeah, okay. So he was a real, he was a real. No, 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 no. Yes. Yeah, 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 he was, he was. And, 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 you know, when, when the collapse happened, I talked to him a few times and he was, he was broken. He was devastated. It's like, everybody ate me. I'm like, yeah, but that's, you know, you're paying the price of what you've done. And now people lost money. It's emotion, emotion, emotion involved. You're dealing with that. So it's. This is what it is. Um, you know, a lot of people try to portray him like a frauder and stuff. I haven't seen that. And I spent four days with him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the interview was working both ways. You know, I wanted to make sure. And to make sure they are like, okay, is it risky for me to get there? And, and, and you know, beside his, his cockiness, which anybody would have after what he's done, I don't think anything, you know, it's a project that was, that was, um, that had a flaw in the in the system, and now it was it was built, and some people took advantage of it. You know, it's not like like the FTX kernel. Right. It's very very. It's a very different ball game than that. Right. 
Yeah, those, um, those guys. So. You look at Bitfinet or, or excuse me, uh, FTX. They, that that looks to me like fraud from the beginning. I mean, they they were trying to take it for a ride, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so. yeah, absolutely. Well, look, the FTX is like, um, um, uh, and and then you find out, you know, the, the the question that nobody cared about, and and it quickly went out. It was that attack on Luna was orchestrated. It, it's a fact. It was too perfect. The timing was perfect. The sizing was perfect. That was a professional work. Whatever people can say, this this is what it was, and. And it could have happened. So that attack, had a, the window of that attack was very, very, very small. All right? 24 hours later, you would have billion against it. So you, you couldn't, to play it, it would have cost a lot of money. So it, wasn't, it would have been more complicated. Literally 24 hours later. Wow. So it was, it was, the window was like very, very, very small. And it happened. It, 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 it still happened. So we still, you know, there is rumors about, about, people being involved um, with that attack. Um, actually, SBF one, was one of them. Um, and and when you, like, you know, when, when that happened, I'm like, that was expected. That was expected. Someone was going to do something to take you down. That was, you have one weakness, you know, smart people, um, smart people will find it out. And then what happened? Because it's crypto, everything is transparent. It's on chain. So if you want to attack something, just to put an alert on whatever contract you want to attack, you put an alert, something move, you get a notification, you attack. And that's when I realized the strength of crypto is to the transparency, but being transparent is also, it makes you very vulnerable at the same time against attack like that. Yeah, that, that knife certainly cuts both ways. Okay, so... <clears throat> One thing on the trading side of it, you, you talked about your errors in execution. Um, before I want to get into, because I, I really want to hear you lay out almost a warning to people about, you know, about crypto or other speculative assets. But on the trading side of it, when you say execution errors, do you mean that you didn't stick to your own game plan and you didn't, you alluded to that earlier when you said, okay, this is the price. When you look back, what were the errors? Were, were you, did you not, did you not have the right game plan in place or was it as simple as you not sticking to your own rules? I didn't stick to my own rules. Okay. okay. So I guess that I, I gave the same game, the game rule. I gave the same rules to people. My friends made money. I didn't. <laughs> oh man. They stick, they stick to what I said. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing. I don't think that people, and I honestly, I don't, I don't really know if there's another way to learn it, right? Uh, other than no, absolutely th that dis you, because, like you said, the emotions get involved, and you know, you have to. We, we had one. <clears throat> I'll, I'll just tell you, it made me think of this. Now, I did this because of having those experiences, but we had had GameStop on our deep value screens for probably going back to 2015. And we have a category of value with a catalyst, right? So we identify really under what we think are really undervalued assets that have potential to pop and we wait for a catalyst to show up. And we ended up uh, in, in late 2020 getting in it right after Ryan Cohen from Chewy.com got involved with GameStop. We took out a stake at around $9.50, $10 a share. And my target on it was we thought on a short squeeze it could go to 35 to 40. It hit 38. 
We hit the sell button. By the time we got the sell order in, it sold at 43. That's how fast it was going up, right? So we hit sell at 38, sold at 43. I walked out of the office that day thinking I was a genius. I just made 370% return in, in you know two and a half months. Yep. And then I had to step back and watch the thing run to 450. But the reason that I exited right and cut it was just from experience with these kinds of things and that adherence to those rules the, the thing i don't think people understand is if you adhere to those rules it is going to hurt sometimes right you're going to have to watch it keep running but you're leaving yep. with a big gain right right it, that okay so now so here's the thing now how many people lost money because they did they went they tried to they keep running it oh yeah you know, there's a, there's a documentary about it. Yep. There's people that got completely wiped out, yep. you know, very crypto similar, the, the, the situation. And, and it's all about emotion. All of that. It's purely about emotions and greed. Yep. Right. And, and what you do and also, it's always easy to look backwards on stuff. <laughs> right? It's very, it's the mistake everybody's doing. Yep. You look backwards, you know, like, like people say, oh, if you, if you bought, um, if you bought, if you put thousand, if you put thousand dollars in Bitcoin in 2010, you would have now fucking 500 million. Yeah. Right? And I I, I'm making, I'm, I, and I wouldn't, cause there's no way I would have ever held it that long. Exactly. And nobody has. Right. right. Nobody has. Right. Nobody has. And nobody has. Yep. And whoever is saying they did, they're lying. Yeah. Yep. Okay. You have Bitcoin. Let's say you bought Bitcoin like $1. The first run goes to thousand. That's thousand times your money. Tell me, you're not selling. Okay, fine. You're not selling because this thing is going to go up. It correct 90%. Right. You get like serious PTSD. Then it goes back to two or thousand. That time you're going to sell. Right. Because you have, you paid, you PTSD eating. And then it call out, and then it goes to 20,000. Then you're going to buy the top and you watch it go back down and it's going to go back up. You know, it's, it, it's that simple. Yeah. Yeah. It's that simple. So going through, you know, looking back on a chart, on the log chart and say, yeah, you know, now it's the exponential age and you have to invest your money and you can hold it forever and it's going to work. You don't take into account the emotion that you have to deal with in 80% drawdown. We're not, if you haven't gone through it before, I guarantee you, nobody's going to go through it. They're going to lose their money. Yeah. It's emotions or your, and that's what, that's what I loved about your openness in that discussion. And, and it, and if you've done it, if you do this, especially for a living, it's so easy to identify with that because that's the thing we're fighting the most often, right? It's the emotional side of it. And, yeah. and for me, the only way I've learned how to manage it is just through, through very strict structure because it, you know, I've had this conversation. People are like, how do you manage your emotions? And I go, well, you get better at it over time, but I've gotten better at managing my emotions by not managing my emotions, by setting rules in place. Right. Yeah. And, and for me, we're human beings. I don't think any of us, maybe there's some machines out there like Druckenmiller or something that can do it. I'm not that. I need that oh, no. structure. Oh. Okay. Now I have a question for you. What's the, the easiest emotion to manage? The profit you could have made or all you gain, you just lost. I, for me, uh, I think it's a much easier, it, you know, it's a much easier emotion to manage all the pro right? Like the GameStop thing. I, now I did make a mistake, meaning I probably should have left a little bit of house money on the table. Right. 
Okay, so th- th- that's a small little lesson, but that's a much easier emotion. No, you're right. That's a much easier emotion to manage than that feeling in your gut that you just gave it all away. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, you lost it all. Now, see the strategy I put in place now. Um, I'm not. So I'm not trading crypto. I don't have any involvement. I still have position in crypto, which I'm not going to give which one because I don't want to get involved with any community right. and I'm trading. I have a trade. I have a setup. That's it. It will happen or not, but I leave it. Now what I have, my, my, my strategy is like, okay, you know, crypto is volatile. It's very easy to make two X, three X. I let it go to three X. I take the initial out. It's a free ride. Yep. That's simple. Goes to five X. Take a, take the, the amount of the initial out. Let it write. And when it collapses, if it collapses, you don't care. If it goes up, you're going to have less upside. But I'm going to sleep at night. Now, I've been through those, those, those big, you know, losing everything. So it's easier for me. Someone that's new to it is going to be greedy and is going to want to make more. I, I, I've, and, I've got a good buddy of mine. I've got a good buddy of mine during, uh, during the whole COVID thing. He put 50 grand into Bitcoin. Uh, he wrote it up to almost a million. And I was sitting there telling him, sell it. Take your money and run. Take your money and run. Now, to his credit, he gave back a ton, but he ended up exiting, and I think he still pulled like three fifty to four hundred grand out. And and he was he was broken hearted about it. And I I looked at him and I said, "Hey, you just walked with a big gain. Now you should have sold it differently. You should have managed the trade differently, but learn from it. You know, you're one of the lucky ones. At least you got out with with, with a big gain, right? I mean, that's a ten, yeah. was a ten x pop for him." But they, but, and I sat and I, and I had that conversation with him where I sat there and I go, you're the only guy I know that is crying about a 10 X game, right? You just 10 X in a year, right? Take it and run. And that yeah. greed, man, listen to you talk about that, that resonated so much. So if, and like I said, so, you know, our audience is a much larger percent retail Give them your warning as it relates to crypto. More importantly, just because you know most of, again, most of our audience is not professional traders. But if you're speaking to a retail audience like ours, what is what is the one thing that you would want them to learn from your story? Trade a community. Don't become part of it. Step. That's number one. Number two is don't touch leverage. Number three is go in the trade with goals. How much you want to make out of it? Have goals in your head. Don't, don't, I want a hundred X. No, don't make realistic goals. If you put 10 grand, you want hundred out, you know, have, have that kind of goal and that, that strategy then to exit. And if you reach those goals, then it means you're going to be happy with it and stick to it. Don't become greedy and nothing, you know, those, nothing goes up forever. In the end, it's, there's no, you know, there's no free lunch. Yeah. 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 It's not happening. Now that, that, that's a perfect transition. You did it better for me than I could have done it for myself, but nothing goes up forever, right? Trees do not grow to the sky, which brings us to our next, uh, the next thing I want to talk to you about. Um, obviously, and, and I want everybody to know when, when I bring this topic up, I am not saying anything pejorative about the company. I think that they do incredible work, but you had a very, um, I, would it be fair to say it was an unexpectedly widely received research note that you put out on NVIDIA? You were not expecting it to go as crazy as it did, correct? No, not at all. Okay, so look. And I, that, the, the reason, the, the, that letter is the reason I had to um, dis- disclose my name. Right. Okay, so what, so, so, so 
kind of give me the genesis of that whole NVIDIA letter because um, it, it blew my doors off, but kind of walk me through how it caught your eye. It, what, what, it was part of that letter some of you, and I'm assuming your experience in crypto influenced it, right? In terms of seeing certain things. So, so just, just walk us through that story and, and lay out your, lay out the NVIDIA case for us. Um, right. So I was on Twitter, on Twitter, you know, after the earnings, um, I saw some tweet of Samantha Laduk popping up. Uh, where is the, where is the NVIDIA coming from? The NVIDIA demand coming from? And then there is a guy called Nobody Special that like started to put video out of there and, and started to look into, into one of their biggest client called CoreWave. And now he was like, you know, it looks like financial engineering more than anything. Like on the beats in Q2 on the beats, uh, Nvidia like smashed. I think that was the um, the center, one of the the tech center thing. I don't remember exactly the exact line. Um, and that was due to one client, essentially. And then when you look into the engineering of it, you realize that Nvidia has been lending money to that client. That client has been buying the chips to build to build like. AI center, whatever. So it started to be a, a bit weird, let's say. You know, the, the, the relationship was a bit odd. And and what I find is then I came across some more people's work. And what I realized, like, okay, if you put all the work together, something is going on. Something is off. Well, right? let me stop you right Because one of the things that confused me about that whole setup was if demand is what you're saying it is, why do you need to lend money to a customer? Yes, I don't know. Well, uh, so CoreWave apparently building those, you know, instead of the building center where you can you can rent computing powers. Um, so it, in a way, they're helping those clients to create demand for their product. Okay. Right. Okay. Now, the problem is with CoreWave. If you look at their website and stuff, it's not, I'm, I'm yet, you know, to, to have found a lot of people that use their product. And if, if you claim you're doing billions in revenue, he has to be scaling up. The scaling has to be efficient, easy. The product has to be easy onboarding. You know, you need, you are, you're touching the masses. To touch the masses, when you're doing tech, you, you see on the website, onboarding is very easy. Now, if you look at onboarding, I haven't looked since two months now. The onboarding on, on CoreWeave was like really, really odd and everything except efficient, I would say. And and I don't see how, you know, those numbers, those revenue numbers could be justified. But then what, what you have is that, so they rent, so what happened is CoreWeave, they, they, they took part or lend money to CoreWeave. CoreWeave bought the chips and then what what Coif's done after that? Um, oh yeah, they went to raise money because now they had the chips that everybody wants. They went to raise money at a eight billion valuation, right? And, well, and nobody okay. knows who they are. Exactly. Why? Well, now you know who they are when you look when you look into it. Then then few names pop up that you know it was it was, it was, to, um, it was kind of reminiscent of the epstein story to me right like how he was supposed to be a multi-billion dollar hedge fund manager but nobody had done any trades with him 
right? Remember that? Yep. It, it, it kind of seemed reminiscent and I'm not sitting there saying NVIDIA is Epstein. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Yeah. And it yeah. reminded me of that. Yeah. No, no, you had, you had that coming up and it was, it was, look, everything was out during Q2, after Q2. And I was like, you know, the AI chips. Yeah. Um, then I, I kind of move away from it because I don't want to become one of those, of those, you know, bears. I believe in tech. I believe in AI. I don't think it's, I still don't think it's going to go in a straight line and I still think it's overhyped this year. Um, and now, you know, ahead of the, the thing is now NVIDIA is actually prepping for another, another kind of this move. Uh, I can't, you know, with the recent uh, announce that they've made, you know, something is going to happen at the beginning of the year where everybody's going to want the new chips. Right. Uh, you know, you know, that's coming. Yes. Yes. And so, and this culminated in you putting out that research report and then correct me if I'm wrong during the conference call, right? Somebody actually cited your research and asked the CFO, right? Yes, that's so. That's I, I've read that someone that sent me an article about it. I'm like, dude, the CFO just answered a question about the Mad King's work, and I'm like, and I was like laughing about it. And I think I think that was for small shareholders, or I don't remember what. And I was like, yeah, that's funny. Oh man. And and because at that time, you know, I'm I'm that anonymous blogger that I have no idea. Um, you know, I, they don't know who I am. Um, so. And yeah, what happened is that that article blew up because of um, Jesse Cohen. Uh, I think he works at investing.com. Um, like he's the one that um, retweeted it. And I ended up getting 60,000 people reading it on a website. And it was like, yeah, it was a lot of people and being mentioned everywhere. And yeah, when, when I, what I was doing was actually connecting the dots. And what I've done... A week later, was a, deep, a deeper dive into into the semi industry and, and AI and and why you, and explaining why it's actually overhyped. Um, you know, it's it's going to go up. But, you know, expect some pullback. Yeah. And 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 now you see, you know, yeah. What happened with CoreWeave is also when they went up before the earnings, before announcing the earnings, they started to buy back. Um. Something like that, buyback program. So basically, they gave exit liquidity to all the big holders when they've done because then the earning happened and it spiked up. I mean, the intraday that day went from 510 to 470, like that. So hold on. Um, So they're borrowing money from NVIDIA to buy chips and then they're turning around and buying back stock? No, that was CoreWeave. That was CoreWeave. Then Nvidia was buying back his own. Oh, stock. got it, got it, got it. Ahead of the earnings, so so yeah, the story was a mix of. Everything. I don't have it now. The, the the entire flow in my head, but it was a mix of a lot of weird stuff yeah. happening. Well, so that, that, okay, so now I remember what you're talking about. Did we? I remember hearing about that Nvidia buyback, and I was perplexed by it because the thing at the time they were buying back shares, Nvidia was running at like thirty five or forty times revenue. What, yeah. Why in the world? What was it? Just I mean, what did you come to? I mean, I, again, we're speculating. That's it. That look, that was, that was that was to create exit liquidity. That's it. They created a pump in the stock, and that created an exit an exit pocket. That's it. I, you know, I think the world of Nvidia as a company, or I have, but when you see things like this, I can't help but feeling something's off. Yes. Well, look, something's off. Um, now I'm going to let people do the diggings and if there is fraud and stuff, you have people that can do a much better work than me and I'm not going to go there. Right. 
in the end, they still they still produce like iron chips that are more that are best performing and all that stuff. So that's still happening. Now, so yeah, Nvidia they went up, but they announced in in Q2. I think that you know their their, their books were full. Like they can't deliver. They ask the provider, you know, they're trying to run per production, but like everybody want to run per production now because there's a big chip demand and it's not that easy. Plus you have the problem with the chip act in the US uh, where they can't sell those chips to, to China. And and then suddenly what happened is that they just announced the H200, which is like, I don't know how many times more powerful than the previous one. The previous one that people haven't received, haven't received yet. The order is booked for the next, the other book is booked for the next 18 months full. And they already launched the new one. So I think what's going to happen with the, the, the H100 not delivered yet, they're going to hit the secondary market so fast that the price is going to collapse. But then what, they don't care because they sold it. They sold them to their clients. So they don't, they're basically passing the, 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 you know, the burden to their clients. And then what's going to happen? People are going to want to buy the new ones for the next generation stuff. Yeah. But in two years, the same thing is going to happen. You know, tech, tech, tech is getting tech over, is getting, um, what's the word? Oh, basically, uh, oh, I can't find my word. Sorry. After two years, basically, it's out, outdated. That's okay. what I was looking yep. for. Yep. You know, well, um, this is, the, this is tech by default. Yep. Yep. Okay. So, so I, what would your, Based on your work, um, you know, I, I've, what I've said about NVIDIA is I've just cautioned people to be very careful. And the reason I've said to be very careful is, look, I, I, you've probably forgotten more about tech than I know, especially on the chip side. I, just my experience, when there's that much hype and the stock is trading at that kind of valuation, you just got to be really careful. W- wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, okay, here's the thing. Professional care about valuation retails don't necessarily, I think. Right. You know, all the, all the Robinhood traders, they have no clue about valuation. They just see a, tr- a price trending, they go for it, and they don't care. And that's why for a lot of time, you know, for professionals or analysts, um, market, market price action is not going to make sense, but they're going to train. And if there is a trend, just don't discuss it. Don't don't let your emotion get involved. Just it, it trains. Just go with it. Just ride the wave. And I exactly, exactly. You are you are you have to. You know, a lot of a lot of traders are doing that. They don't question what they think about the stock or the product. They see something trading, they go for it. Yeah. And I think you know, a lot of trends we see picking up. Sometimes it's it's due to retails and and all the you know now you have a lot of seeing that in two thousand eight, for example. You didn't have Twitter, but it was like a couple of people on there. You didn't have Robin Hood. You didn't have like all the new services on top. You know, that didn't, all the apps, all the, that didn't exist. Now you have that. So it's like you're having a system, you're having an invest, investment process or system that's on steroid now. And that's why we see those, those spikes that don't make sense sometimes. Yeah. 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 The retail, retail involvement is just exacerbating everything. So if we could pivot a little bit now, because I, I, everybody that listens to our show knows that I'm a macro, uh, a, a self, a self-professed macro geek. Um, I, I would, I would like to just hear 
Um, obviously, our view here, uh, a lot of home country bias, we're very myopically, you know, everybody who lives in the United States is myopically focused on our economy. But I want to hear just from the horse's mouth. You know, there's so much discussion out there right now regarding soft landing. There's even people out there saying no landing, right? I look at the macro picture to me and it looks pretty it looks pretty straightforward and I don't think it looks that great. But I want to hear you talk about the the soft landing, hard landing, what you're seeing happening. What what are you seeing in the world of macro and what's really got your attention these days? Yep. Um, so, well, I'm, I'm actually working, writing on a piece that, writing a piece that I'm going to publish on Sunday, which is covering all of that. And so what we have here, before we talk about macro, what we need to think is, we need to think about the technology that's available now and being used as a flow of information. And the bigger one is Twitter, right? Right now, Twitter is like, everybody's on it. And what happened is, you have the algorithm that are doing the work and are creating, are pushing narratives. So if one narrative emerge and people like it, the algorithm are going to push it further and further and further to people that like it. And then suddenly you end up having those biased world and you're having likes. Right now, the hot topic is soft landing, right? We know, we know that soft landing, you know, you've seen the chart that soft landing is the, wor- the worst. I, think I use the chart. Um, is the word, is the most the, the most mentioned article ever uh, at the moment? So basically, it's the big narrative of the media and of social media. Right? That's the big thing. So that's the consensus view. That has become the consensus view because of the algorithm and how it has been pushed to them. Mm-hmm. Right now, if you look under the hood, it's a little bit different for soft lending. Okay. Now, if you start looking into data. So, you know, you're gonna, people are going to say, yeah, but, you know, the employment market is, is strong. Okay, that's the main. You're going to look at the main data. Yes, it is. Now, if you look at the, um, of the growth of, of people of, like, layoffs that are, are not temporary, the growth, huh? not the outright data, the growth, smashing, smashing recession already. Mm-hmm. That, that move, all right? If you look, so then I took another sub-data of employment, which is the, um, the, temp, the temp employment. Same, the other way. So one way you have the temporary layoff, layoff training up, temp, um, temp uh, services hired, training down. Right? That's, what I, that's the first thing that happens when you have problems, before the overall market and all that stuff. So I find that like very, very interesting. So that's on the employment side, right? Then we're going to add, so we have obviously the IL environment that is a, is a big problem. Um, default uh, delinquencies are picking up. The early delinquencies picking up and they're converting into sales delinquencies, which is 30 days versus 90 days. It is happening. It's, it is in the data, okay? Now, people and the consumption is, is uh, contracting. The, um, you know, credit card rate, all-time high, car rate, all-time high, mortgages, all-time high, and sentiment is that everything is too expensive, so people are not buying stuff. And, and right now, you know, the housing sector is, like, stopped. Now, if you don't buy a house, you don't refurbish it, you don't buy the new TV that goes with it, you don't buy the new sofa that goes with it, right? So it's, like, spread everywhere. 
Okay, that is happening now. It, it, you, can't, you can't deny it. It's in, it's in the charts, in the number. It's very simple, right? And so the housing is done. Then what do you have after? Then the inventories. The manufacturing inventories is not far from a trillion for in value. Okay, that is the excess post-COVID. If you look at the chart of inventory durable goods, wholesaler inventories, what you see, you see a drop, a drop um, because of COVID, and then massive spike up, like bigger than ever, than anything that happened. So that was that, you know, when COVID happened, you had that supply issue, supply chain issues, collapse, people panic. We don't want that to happen. We're going to pile up inventories and we're going to finance them because we have zero interest again. And you see that big drop. Now, what's going to happen? People can keep, uh, wholesaler can keep piling up on inventories because that, that's more expensive now. And we're going to have to go through that excess first. Right? So that, that when you start to, to put all together like that, it's like, okay. Then the high yield environment, what it's creating is corporate are not going to be able to roll over their debt like they want. Now, you can expect buyback next year to be very limited because of it. Government um, interest payment now is 35% of tax revenue, right? So it's like, it's, I mean, all those stuff together, I'm like, yeah, soft landing, maybe, <laughs> maybe, but I don't know how. You know, I, I, and I keep seeing, when I see those, those theories, I'm like, what am I missing? I, <laughs> what am I missing that I, you know, what am I missing that, that, and then, and then you realize, the, the, the sentiment that we're going to have a soft landing, it's because of the rally this year. Now, if you strip off the seven tech companies of that rally, you have a flow. Yeah. Now, with the late, with, with the late, um, with the late uh, spike, you know, the last two weeks, maybe you're a tiny positive, but it's almost flat. Yeah. Yep. All right. It's almost flat. And then what happened? Then we go back to algorithm, sentiment, manipulating sentiment, pushing those narrative, you know, price up, all that stuff. It's, and who owns those algorithms that we all consume? You tell me. Well, and that... Those tech, those, those giants, those tech giants. No, we were talking about this the other day, you know, in some of these are amazing companies, but like <coughs> Microsoft, Microsoft approaching a $3 trillion market cap, trading at 15x revenue. I mean... I, I don't think we've ever seen anything like this. You've seen those kinds of valuations, obviously, on the lower end of the scale. But, I mean, I don't think the average investor – I had a back and forth the, last night with a guy on Twitter that was like, yeah, I think Microsoft's still a buy. And I looked at him and I said to him, I go – you know, and, and, and it wasn't contentious, but I said to him, I go, have you done the math on what it takes to make a, a, comp, a, a good investment with, with, you, when you're buying something at 15x revenue? Do you realize the kind of growth, the kind of earnings growth? Do you, do you realize what it, just just to make that investment worth that, right? Um, I just don't think anybody's doing the math anymore. No, and and see, you're analyzing the, the problem with your knowledge versus he doesn't have the same knowledge than you, or he doesn't simply care about it. You know, you you care about it because you need to justify your position for your clients. If you you, it's not your money you invest, so you need to justify it. Now, people that buy it um, with their own money, they don't need to justify everything. Number goes up, and that's it. 
That's what they see. You know, you need to go into the fundamentals. And, and, and I agree, you know, none of them make sense. All the valuation are way too high. And, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's odd. It's, it's all odd. And it's, and the way, the way it could play out, you know, look, Microsoft, those, those tech, these tech giants, they're a good company. Yeah, right? they, great. Yes. They, they have good product. They wouldn't be there where they are if not. Right. Now, is it the right time to buy them? I, I'm like you, not. I would say not. But it's the stuff I would definitely buy in a decent correction. Definitely on them long term. But I will wait for the right entry price. Yeah. Right? It's all about dynamics after that. And but yeah, right now no, everything is 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 too much. And then the AI the AI has been the AI narrative has been like where to to hype this year? Oh yeah, but yeah. but it, like you said though, it, it's you see the same cycle playing out in regular markets that you saw in crypto, hmm. right? Which is we just go from one narrative to the next, and you jump on the narrative train and you ride yeah. it. And it, when you see narrative after narrative fail, it still doesn't seem to dampen the appetite for the narrative chasers, right? It's like oh, hey, on to the next one. But we, we, you brought up something. Because this is, you said something that has been having us, me and my two analysts, uh, pulling our hair out of, we have spent more time over the last six months trying to figure out how a soft landing plays out. And and to be clear, I don't think that we're on the precipice of an 0809 type of massive event. Right? No, no, we're not. No, I agree. I agree with that. But, but, and, and, but at the same time. Uh, with these people saying no recession, I'm looking at this when, when you when you look at, you know, f- one of the things I keep going back to is, you know, from January 2020 to the end of 2022, you saw a 20% increase in consumer spending. It's the biggest two year jump in history. You take away stimulus and 0% interest rates that can't continue. I mean, you just, you have to float at least back to the trend line, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, th- and that's, you know, that's part of the. The work I've done is, you know, that excess liquidity that joined that that came in the in the market, it's there's still some in there, and I don't think the Fed is going to pivot until they they get rid of that excess liquidity. You need to flat that out, and that's excess liquidity, excess inventories, you know, all that. You need to get rid of it, and then they can pivot, and then they can move. Um, you know, it's. Yeah, it's and 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 now, and I know you're probably keeping a better eye on this too, but. And I have not, de- I personally not deep dived into it, but we're just talking about the U.S., right? It's not like it's a picnic in Europe or Asia right now either. Absolutely not. I mean, Europe is is in pretty bad shape. Um, and but what we're gonna have now? So see, today what what I found is, so I made I made a composite about, so I, I create my own uh, global inflation indicator. Uh, GDP weighted, you know, I want to see like globally, how does it look like? And and you see the, the, the speed of the fall in inflation is like mind-blowing. Now, that velocity is not going to stop like that. That's the thing. It's going to keep going and we're going to hit deflation. You can't just say, oh, we stopped doing anything and I stopped. It's not good. You know, it's like, this is a big container ship. It's in. It's going in a direction. If you're not going to stop, if you're going full speed, you're not going to stop it like that. Just you know, because you want to. It's going to keep going. That's the velocity of it. You don't have a choice. Right. And I think that's the part I haven't read. Is like you know, actually, we 
we're not going to stop suddenly stop at ah, 2% now, we're good. No, 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 no. We're going to have deflation on the table. You know, all the central banks now starting to cut rates. Well, no, not all. Some of them. You, so I, I, I built another indicator showing all the central banks' basically behavior. And it, you can see the pickup just like that. And it's, it's about to go ballistic where they're all going to cut at the same time. Now, when they all cut at the same time, inflation, I mean, the, the, the mess they're gonna, they made with inflation trying to control it so hard, it's going to backfire, I think. You know, it's it's action reaction. It's quite. It's I don't know. So it's it's so simple that I don't understand why. I'm I'm really scratching my head over all that. You know, you know what? It's, it's, you you and look. We, you and I have both said we don't think it's 0809. But I've also said several times on the show. Really, my only comp in my career to it was probably from the summer of 2007 to the summer of 2008, not understanding why housing wasn't falling more, not understanding, just scratching my head going, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe housing can go up forever. Maybe. And then all of a sudden reality caught up into a hurry. Do, do, do you think that that's, is that kind of the way you're seeing this again? We're not, we're not talking about the magnitude of 0809, but in terms of the way it unfolds, do you think that's a decent comp? Well, look, this, 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 since 2008 until now, it's all about free money and excess around, about it, right? And it, it lasted for quite a while. Now, I think people learn, you know, the, the problem is not going to be CDO packages or over leverage. It's not going to be the same problem. But you do have, uh, it's quite simple. Now, if you look at, you know, I'm starting to compare it to 2000 because of the tech involvement. Now, the magnitude might be a bit bigger. We might be between 2000 and 2008, you know, in the correction. We should be around that because you have the same kind of excess, the same kind of spike, you, but they were not caused back then because of crazy liquidity that, that just stepped in. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, I think we definitely not, it's not a systemic one, a systemic risk one. Agree. But now, you know, about soft, soft lending, then we're going to hit recession and people are, and, and analysts are going to switch to soft recession, guaranteed. 100%. That's the next, that's the next word coming up. We're going to have that. And, and maybe, maybe they'll start off by calling it a profit recession, right? Earnings recession. It's earnings. Yes. Yes. We, yes. We still, we still need to see that. But you know, in the end, I mean, I wrote, I wrote it today. It's in a very, very simple way. People are defaulting on the debt, right? Those people basically are net loss consumers. Because they're not going, they a they're not paying the debt, and b they're not going, not going to take more to consume, right? That's going to lead to credit that keep tightening or stay tight. Then less consumption, then recession, right? All that is happening with IA. Now, the Fed is not going to pivot too quickly, too quickly, because if they do, they're not fixing the excess issue. They know that. You know, they're smart, they're smart people, yep. they know all that stuff. Yep. Whatever they say in front of the camera, they know the system better than we do, and 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 they know what they're gonna do. And the reality is now there is way too much excess everywhere. Well, the, the other thing, and to their credit, and I think I think it's incredible that people just threw this out and nobody talks about it anymore. You know, Powell over a year ago at Jackson Hole said there's gonna be pain. And and yeah. what I interpreted that as saying is no, no, not that we're gonna get rid of inflation, but prices need to actually fall. Right. And I, I'm just stunned at how quickly that got thrown out the window. 
and everybody's saying the Fed's going to pivot. You're sitting there going, wait a second. I I think they are smart people, but they're also academics, right? I think that they have egg on their face from saying, you know, transitory. And I just, I don't see them. I think they want to see a stake through inflation's heart before they're even going to entertain cutting. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yes. I, and I just, I just uh, look. Powell, Powell said he said he said we haven't felt the pain of IL yet, right? They know it. So that line alone, this is all the all the framework I've been building on that line alone, which is we're gonna have more default. We're gonna you know we're gonna have less debt. Um, the government is gonna be under pressure. They, and you see this, they already they start to use T bills instead of long term bonds. Because they can't finance long term, it's too expensive. So they're gonna to have to go short term, and let's see how long time they can keep that going. You know, it's yeah, it's. I mean, it's there. You know, sometimes you need to to pay attention a little bit um, to what's happening. I think, and and for me, and that's what. You see, I've been building a, a bearish framework. Now I'm not a perma bear. The only reason I've built it, it's not. To, I'm not shorting the stock. I'm not going for that. It's waiting. I want to identify the right entry point. So if I nail the bear, then I'm going to work on nailing my entry point and I'm, and I'm, and I'm after I ride a wave. And, and yeah, right now it's, it's, it looks, it looks bad. It looks yeah. bad. There's no, you know, it's. One of the things that gives me pause. And like I said, I've been scratching, been scratching our heads, looking at all the data going, I don't understand how anybody can come out with a constructive picture. One of, one of the things that has plagued me, and this is hardly my base case in terms of the way I'm thinking, and I want to get your thoughts on it. What do you, do you think it's – because you and I both know when the, when the deflation finally does show up and the recession is here, we know what the central bank response is going to be, right? What, what is going to be? Well, I, I, I would think they're going to do everything they've done over the last 16 years and throw everything at it that they need to. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to come with fiscal right out of the gate, but but it maybe maybe it gets bad enough to where they need to. I, I just don't see you know. Okay, flipping back over so the perma bear guys that are sitting there going, "Oh, it's going to be another 1929," and I'm sitting there going, "Guys, you, have you where have you been for the last 16 years? If the Fed's got to send checks to everybody's mailbox, they're going to do it." Yep. Um, see, okay. Then again, you know the analysis about. Understanding the role of technology is important here, yeah? because we have it's a very different world, for example, than 2008. Right? Imagine in 2008 we had the same tool that we have now. Maybe it wouldn't have been that bad. Maybe it would have started early. Maybe you know we don't know. Now, but we do have those tools now, okay? And you know the Fed. Okay, so first people say people the Fed is going to pivot and is going to cut, unless they cut straight up down to four percent. Or below, the cut is going to be meaningless for the economy. It's not going to change anything. Cut by by fifty basic points. Yeah, great. Doesn't matter. Not changing. It's still, you know, because of the debt level, because of the debt level nine in the in the system, those five percent are still too high. Four percent still too high. At three percent, we start talking. That's not going to happen from the first cut. It's going to be the you know at least in the middle of the cut, if they go to zero, and. And still, this is going to be the last tool they use. No, sorry. Then you have the. Then they're going to bring liquidity in. Um, that's going to be the second tool they use. But first, they're going to go through all those cuts, and and until three percent, uh, we're going to keep. We're not. 
it's not going to change anything. Well, and they, the problem is going to be the same. Well, and this is one of the things that gives me pause. This is another question I had on my list to ask you, because one of the things I don't think anybody is thinking through is, is again, I think you and I see similarly in terms of going to be a recession, but not going to be an 08, 09 type of event. The one thing that does concern me, though, is this will be the first recession that I'm aware of where we will not have a refinancing wind at our backs coming out of it, right? Like, you know, 08, 09 was horrible, but one of the pads to that was people's ability to refinance at significantly lower rates, uh, corporations to term out their debt at lower rates, right? It was kind of like that first pad off the bottom that we bounced off of. This time, I mean, you know, what do you got to get? You got to get 30-year mortgages down to 1.9%. You know what I mean? Like, the the refinance wave and one of the things that we're entertaining is we don't think it's going to be too deep but i do think it could be could be prolonged i think it could be longer for that very reason yes absolutely that that's that's possible it's true that you know the refinancing stuff it's a, it's a i think it's a tool specific to um to the us you know we don't use that much in europe uh i think one sec um yeah i don't um Shit. Sorry. Oh, no, 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 no worries. But no, I, I have the dog. I have the dog scratching at the door. <laughs> well, it's been distracting me. Yes. Yes. They'll do that to you. No. So it's, it's, I, I think that we're on a, on a, on a similar wavelength where, where it's just very hard to model anything but a recessionary outcome. I, I just, I don't, I don't see how they get there. Um, no. And, and that's, that's what I was going to say. I got it back. Um, it's like, okay. Although I think, we have, um, it's an excess issue, right? With inventories and all that stuff that need to clear out and liquidity, we still have this time around 30, well, the US government has 33 trillion of debt, right? It didn't have that in 2008. Right, right. Okay. That is the like joker in the story. Let's see how it's that going to impact, you know, how is that going to impact everything? Um, really, their ability to because that that's going to restrain their ability to do some to do meaningful thing, things. And if they do, and print like crazy, and the dollar is going to collapse. Well, and then China too, right? I think one of the lost stories about 0809 is we talk about the refinancing boom, but I think one of the things that pulled us out of 0809 and that malaise was the unbelievable spend of China. There were, they, yeah, and what happened, and and. That spending from China is what is causing the cause of the collapse of China now. Right. They're paying the price for that. You know, those empty buildings and towns is all collapsing. Yep. All of it. Yep. I you know, so that was a solution then. It boosted China, it put them in 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 you know, they become they become so so important in in, in the global aspect. But now they're like in real trouble because of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they can't ride to the rescue because if they go on a printing expedition like that again, you know, one of the things that Z has talked about is wanting to make the yuan, right, a global player, a global. I mean, you're already. So I talked I talk, I talk to a friend that is um, is a geopolitical expert, more, way more than me. And, and his take was that, like, look, in the, if you look at the central bank's balance sheet during COVID, the only one that didn't do anything is China. They didn't do much in terms of growth compared to Europe or, or the US, Japan a little bit, uh, but China really didn't do anything. And and what he said to me is like, look, they could like print money again, but this time they make sure that's to 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 push domestic businesses. 
Now, if that's the case, it's not to, to, to buy in Ferraris or Louis Vuitton or whatever. It's to buy Chinese brands mm. and, and to really propel domestic, domestic um, economy. So that was, that was a, I thought that was an interesting thought. You know, it's like, okay, you know, they're communists. You could see that happen. Um, so it's, it's, it's definitely interesting. Now, you know, then you see, um, you see G coming to, uh, to the US meeting with all the tech people and stuff. Like, I'm like, I, I saw that. I'm like, okay. Now, you know, deals have been made yesterday or today or the day before. And, and, and then I was thinking maybe time to actually, because of that, I'm sorry, stay, maybe time to pay attention to China. They could surprise people again. I, They've just been to the US. I'm not going to yeah. lie to you. We were thinking the exact same thing. Like he's not coming yeah. over here just to say hi. Right. Exactly. It, it, exactly. It also makes me feel like the, the guys behind the curtain, if you will, it also makes me feel that visit specifically as if they see it more in the light that you and I are talking. Like they're looking at things going, uh, guys, this could get ugly fast. Yeah. Right. And, and absolutely. In this environment, I, I don't. Uh... I mean, you see, you know, they don't know. You've seen, you've seen the, um, the headlines about, you know, weak, weak demand rate. It was all over the earnings in Q3. You know, so you are, when, see, I pay attention to those bits all the time because those, they drop it like that in life. And people are like, no, no, it's fine. The consumer is strong. Go in the street. Mm, no, it's not. You know, it's actually not so strong. Uh, people are struggling. You know, it's real. Now, is it, you know, like, I don't want to, I'm not saying it's going to collapse and everybody's going to be in the street and we're not going there, but you have structural issues that are there. They are there. We've seen the data, they're developing, and when you connect them together, well, there is a recipe for, for a big problem coming, right? It, it is there. Now, the, the difference is that this, this, let's say we have a recession, market correct, it's not crazy correction. We go 30%, no big deal. What I'm thinking after that is like, after what's the real ability of the Fed to propel the market when they have a balance sheet of already 8 trillion and the government debt is 33 trillion? You know, what's comparing to before? What's the real, what's the real thing? What can you really do after with those numbers? Well, I mean, our thought is, and I've long thought this, and I don't think there's any way out. I mean, I think eventually, right? I mean, Japan has just been front running every other central bank in the world for the last 40 years or 30 years, 40, yeah, 30 years. So, I mean, my thought is eventually the feds, I, I see the feds balance sheet going to 30, 40 trillion. I mean, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's nobody else that can buy it. I mean, who okay. Buy two now, and, and if that happened, if, the, if that happened, then what's the impact? What's the macro impact of that? You know, we're going to, yeah, exactly. Then you start thinking like that. It's like, whoa, it's, you need, you realize you need to sit and take time to think about it, you know? And, and yeah, it's, it's mind blowing. And I, and I agree, you know, we can, we're going to end up there, but what does that mean? We end up there. What's going to be the market size, uh, the market cap of the, the stock market when that happened? Do you end up having like a balance sheet, hundred percent size of the market cap of the U.S.? Or is the market going up with it? And if he does, you know, what's the impact of it? I mean, you can slash it so many ways. Um, but yeah, it's it's like crazy, crazy, crazy time. I, you know, getting you know? putting on my conspiratorial hat and I'll see what you see. I, I, and I've long thought when you look out at the issue, 
I've long thought that it kind of all roads lead to a a single currency, right? Like a one world currency union or something like that. And I, I do okay. So I imagine that if you if you get there, for that to happen, you would already need the central banks to work together. That's not happening. They don't work together. They work, you know, in the end, their job is to is for their country, it's not for something else. So to I think to reach that unity eventually, something very, very bad would need to happen right. first. Right. Very, 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 very like I mean very bad. Because it'd have to no, be like a last bad. resort, right? Yes. So like a lifeline. Yes. You know. Yeah, and, and even and then you think of okay, let's say let's say that's a possibility, then what does the world forward look like at this stage? You know, it's like what do you have? I don't know, you know, that, that, that will wipe out, you know, you wipe out all the debt, meaning you wipe, you wipe out all the derivatives attached to it. You know, it'll be like, we, we, I think we outgrow the system we've built. Um, so, and that's why people are, are thinking crypto is a, is, is a solution, which I don't think it is for the entire system. Uh, we, we, you know, we overuse it. People are smart. They created product. We overdone, we overdone everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because of greed, yeah. because of greed, right? And and maybe what, you know, the norm was like, okay, we have to have a 2% growth. That's good. Maybe the norm for the for the next 50 years is to be flat. Maybe, you know, maybe that would that would that would frame the problem in different in a different way. And you don't need to take so much debt, you don't need to keep consuming, you don't the investor don't need to make that much money all the time. You know, it's it's we there is there is like some serious, serious structural issue, I think, in everything. No, I could um, I couldn't you know. I couldn't agree more. And in it go ahead, what were you gonna say? But now if what I was gonna say is although there is issues, if you identify them, that's where you make the money. Yeah. You know, that's the way to make money. That that's we're in the game of that. We're in the game in the end, we're in the game of making money, you know. Yep. Yep. Is, so, and, I, and I have, and I have a feeling it's going to be increasingly challenging, right? Um, yes. Uh, it's not <laughs> going to be the free ride that it's been over the last 15 years, or at least that's the way we see it. Um, all right, sir. Well, I, I have kept you here way longer and I appreciate your graciousness staying on. Let's, I, 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 um, I, I love, absolutely love your work. And, and for all the folks out there, you can follow him on Twitter at, at the King court. And then also find his work on themadking.com. Give us, give us what your offerings are. So if you've if you got a guy out there that's managing his own money, do you have different tiers on the Mad King? I'm not familiar with the, with the, with the offerings to the public. Run us through that. Yes, I have. Uh, let me check. I need to actually to check. I have, a, I have two tiers. Uh, for, so I have one that's called Duke, Duke Tiers. And it's, it's the cheap one. It's a cheap entry. It's like two hundred forty dollars a year, okay. and you get one monthly publication, one deep dive that I do. So you can find, you know, for, you can find stuff about the, the business cycle that I wrote. You have like AI. You have a lot of different topics that are inter- very, very interesting. You know, I, I wrote about I wrote about uh, the housing market in February, actually, saying that it was going to collapse. You know, that's one thing I, I got right this year. One of um, I got a lot of wrongs as well, unfortunately. Um, you know, I wrote I wrote a big piece on the business cycle and how I use it and how to use it, which, you know, some people were like, well, that's like MBA stuff. <laughs> you know, it's really some pieces that I write, it's really to teach people. And my content is really made 
for people to think for themselves. I'm not giving trade recommendation. I'm not telling you how to do it. Not that I can't, but because if I do it, then you rely on me to take profit. You rely on me to manage your position. Right. And the point of what I'm writing is not that. You know, if I wanted to make um, a trading services, I, I can, I would, I might. Um, it's very different. But in this case, I really like develop the content in that sense. Um, so that when you pay, yeah, when you pay, when you pay $240, you get one pizza month and all the archives available. And then you have the prints here, which that one get like three pieces a month, uh, two deep dive, one chat book, and then the occasional update that I write. Um, you know, at the moment, for example, everything is moving so much that I'm writing a lot. Um, I can't contain myself and, and the prints you can pay monthly or, or yearly. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm. The, the list of, of stuff I want to write about, it keep, I keep adding to the list. I must have like 40 articles I want to write. Well, that, um, well and that, I'm, I'm, a, I'm alone, so. Yeah, no, I, I was laughing because if you're into macro, um, I don't know that there's ever been a more target-rich environment than right. I mean, it's a macro lover's dream. No, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And it's so stimulating, so interesting, you know? Yeah. You have so much happening and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm using a lot the, the the tech analysis I shared with you. You know, a lot of understanding how algorithms shape what we see, shape what we decide, shape what we buy. You know, all that stuff. I I, I wrote a, a, an extensive piece about AI, um, part one, where, where I explain all that and I go deep in the human behavior around you know, using generative AI. I'm explaining the difference between them. Kind of like it's overhyped. This is what really is happening. You know, for example, when you talk about AI. The first thing people think is Terminator, right? It's like, you're going to have that robot coming and they, that's not even on the book yet. Right. It's not even, we, we, we're not, it's not even close, right? And, and then you have the, you know, the generative AI you've seen with ChatGPT and stuff, um, which I, um, you know, analyze. I actually tested, spent months testing all kinds of tools to understand them. You know, like DeFi, I went in, I want to understand what's that about. And actually what I, when COVID hits, because I saw AI, becoming important. Uh, I did a course at Stanford about it so I could learn about training model and uh, how the tech work behind it and how the system works and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm yeah, I educated myself about it uh, to really understand. Well, if, if for the, and for the, for the home traders out there, whatever, um, I don't know, just, just a warning for me to you. If you don't have a, a macro subscription to like what, to what Remy's talking about through the mag King, I just, I, I, the one thing I feel very certain about, and I'm sure you'd agree, Remy, is that the next five to 10 years are not going to look like the last 15. And, you know, the last 15, when you really look at it, I think that you can make it as complicated as you want to make it. But you, I think a simple way to look at it is that central banks were able, were able to mute out macroeconomic forces just via printed money, right? They were able to keep that. Absolutely. Okay. Well, now they can't push that button anymore, right? Not not right now, right? With, with the inflation picking. No, nope. and so no. And what happened? See, that's that's a, what. Sorry to to interrupt no, you. Ahead. The point you're making is important because when so when you look at the business cycle, right? That business cycle. If you take COVID out, COVID was a um, was a flash crash, right? That recession. It was like we know we know why it happened. Now, if you take that out, we had a um, 15 years growth basically. 15 years where they didn't let the business cycle play out. Right. Right. So it's time to pay for it. It's time that it goes. That's why you see excess everywhere. 
because they didn't let it play out normally before. Simple, simple as that. And to be able to move forward, they're going to have to let it go, let it out, let it go a little bit. Otherwise, what you're going to do is create a much bigger problem for the next one. Much, much bigger. They know, they know all that, you know, and it's, it's now they're just juggling balls that are like on fire, on top, you know, on fire. And it's, it's, yeah, very risky. Yeah. I mean, yeah. All right, my friend. Well, hey, I really appreciate you coming on and doing this. It's been a blast. Um, I've soaked up at almost two hours of your time. I felt like we could have easily gone for another two. But we're going to be watching your stuff very closely. And, um, you know, if, if you, uh, you know, and, I, and I'll leave that communication channel open. If you come across anything and you want a platform to discuss it, um, you know, feel free to contact us anytime, man. would love to get you back on and uh, I have a feeling we're going to need to do this again at some point in the next six months because I think there's going to be some fireworks. Yeah, I will. I will. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was that really was a blast. I really enjoyed the conversation. You, you and yes, definitely. I'll come back anytime. All right, Remy. Well, you guys, I hope you enjoyed listening to this as much as I did recording it. And also, too, thank you to Remy for sharing his stories with us. And, and if nothing else, you know, I remember my dad telling me as a kid, son, there's two ways to learn, right? You can learn from others' pain or you're going to have to go through the pain yourself. And I have found in my life, it's much easier to learn from others' pain. So I would just encourage you guys to listen to what Remy said and use it as a lesson, right? That's one of the kind things he's done about going public with his story. Nobody wants to stand up there and say how they botched a trade. But, um, you know, through this teaching and through the, through, through the approach he's taken, um, I think a lot of good's going to come out of it. And um, I hopefully the listeners to this uh the listeners to this show will be able to learn that lesson. So Remy, thanks again for joining us. Um, it's been a blast. And, uh, you know, until next week, guys, we got another great interview on the docket, but go follow him on Twitter at, at the King court, go sign up for one of those prescription services, get or subscription services, get your head around macro. It's going to be important going forward. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. You're listening to know your risk radio podcast, download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.